Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Milford House Mysteries on the BookSpeak Network. I'm Sherry Knowlton. Uh, I write the Alexa Williams series of books, uh, Dead of Autumn, Dead of Summer, Dead of Spring, and the Dead of Winter. My newest uh, Dead of on the Delta will be out sometime uh, in early 2020. Hi, I'm Jan West. I write the Carlisle Crime Cases series, Dying for Vengeance, Courting Doubt and Darkness, Darkness at First Light, Had a Dying Fall, and Things Strangled, featuring Carlisle Homicide Detectives Christopher Snow and Aaron McCoy. I'm currently working on a bio that wants to be historical fiction. This COVID-19 crisis is beginning to wear on us, and I hope you all out there are staying home and healthy. While at home, listening to podcasts is really an excellent way to discover new authors and their books. As listeners may remember, our guest today is Timothy J. Smith, a returning author to the podcast. His family crisscrossed America, pulling a green trailer behind their car. And as a result, Smith developed the wanderlust that has taken him around the world in a unique international career. En route, he's found the characters that people his work. Polish cops and Greek fishermen, mercenaries and arms dealers, traffic children and wannabe terrorists, and chiefs and tailors. He smuggled band plays from the behind the Iron Curtain and maneuvered through occupied territories, representing the United States to foreign governments, and stowed away on a devil's barge for a perilous crossing from Cape Verde to that that landed him in an American jail in actual Indiana Jones fashion. So Tim is back on Milford House Mysteries today to tell us about his new book, Fire on the Island. It's a playful romantic thriller set in contemporary Greece featuring Nick D'Amigo. Tell me if I'm saying that wrong, Tim. A gay Greek-American. Okay, good. Uh, A gay Greek-American undercover FBI agent who's on the island to investigate a series of mysterious fires. Set against the real refugee crisis of the sun-drenched Greek islands, this novel portrays a community in crisis. Agent Demigos arrives on the island in time to witness the latest fire and save a beloved truffle-sniffing dog. Hailed as a hero and embraced by the community, Nick finds himself drawn to Takis, a young bartender who becomes his primary suspect. But Takis isn't the only suspicious character on the island. The priest is an art forger. A young Albanian waiter harbors a secret. The captain of the Coast Guard station seems to have his own agenda. And the village itself hides a violent history. And Fire on the Island is Timothy's most recent novel. It lately won the gold medal in 2017. That's lately, isn't it? <laughs> Father Wisdom competition for the novel. And his screenplay adaptation of it was named Best Indie Script 
by right movies. His critically acclaimed fourth novel, I'm sorry, his critically acclaimed The Fourth Courier, set in Poland, was published in 2019 by RK Publishing. Previously, he won the Paris Prize for Fiction, that's now called the Paris Literary Prize, for his novel A Vision of Angels. Kirkus Reviews called Cooper's Promise Literary Dynamite and selected it as one of the best novels of 2012. Tim was nominated for the 2018 Pushcart Prize. His stage play, How High the Moon, won the prestigious Stanley Drama Award, and his screenplays have won competitions sponsored by the American Writers Screen Association, Rhode Island International Film Festival, Fresh Voices, Story Prose, and the Hollywood Screenwriting Institute, among others. He's founder of the Smith Prize for Political Theater. Welcome to Milford House Mysteries, Tim. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me back. And I always love the way you tell my my biography, Joan. It's it sounds so much more exciting than I think it really is. <laughs> <laughs> it, sounds, it is exciting. It, it actually, when I hear all that stuff, I realize, wow, that's been quite a life, and that's what I draw yeah. my stories from. So it is exciting in a way, so, and I've been very fortunate to be able to do all those things, and some of them were a little crazy and put me in danger, but I have survived to write about it. Well, uh, and that leads us actually into the first question that we had for you, um, because much of your life does actually sound like a novel itself uh, and has certainly given you a lot of background information and experiences for your novels and screenplays. Uh, so congratulations. Uh, Thank you. I, can you step back before we get into Fire in the Island and um, specifically and give us an overview of sort of like what motivates your writing? You seem very much involved in uh, and interested in current political and social issues. Um, are the, as your writing, how much of your writing is uh, really based on your own experience? Just, just give us an overview if you could. Oh, I might say that really all my writing is based on my own experience because I, uh, I only write about places where I've spent a long time and I've gotten to, to know the characters that I use uh, as models for my characters. Um, what motivates my writing, uh, it's really a notion that I've had for a long time in my life, which is issues sort of social justice and social equity uh, motivate me. And I had a career uh, that I chose specifically to work uh, to help low-income people around the world. I, I worked first in the United States and then later internationally. Um, and when I – my last contract or my last job was managing the U.S. government's uh, first significant program to help Palestinians at the start of the peace process, which is officially started in 1993 at the Oslo Peace Accords. And I, a year later, I moved to Jerusalem to basically manage a multimillion-dollar project to help small Palestinian businesses become part of a, of a new economy there. Um, it was at the end of that two-and-a-half-year period that I decided to become a full-time writer because I felt I really had a story to tell, and that story was really about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict from all the perspectives that I felt comfortable portraying. And I, well, I'll shorten my answer here, but I, I actually was raised a Zionist, Although I, grew, I, was, I, was, I grew up a Zionist, even though I'm not Jewish. 
I ended my career helping Palestinians, and I felt I had an arc in my life that let me write a novel about that. So that's what really got me into writing as a full-time mm-hmm. writer. I never looked back. Wow. Well, it, in that same broad vein, can you identify any specific book or authors that have either informed or influenced your writing or had a memorable effect on you? Oh, uh, well, I I have to go back to, to some older writers to, to really mm-hmm. say that because I think it was my early reading that influenced me. I would say Graham Greene, and I've been likened to Graham Greene. Uh, in terms of Fire on the Island, which is set in Greece, of course, I've read everything by Nikos Kazantzakis, who's the author of Zorba the Greek, and uh, there's a Zorba element to Fire on the Island. I can talk about that if you want me to. Um, I, I guess I, I, I like I, I write what I like to read, and what I like to read are books that have kind of interesting, maybe even suspenseful plots that are strong plots, but have really interesting and well-developed characters. So I don't fit into any one genre very well, but that's sort of the writing that I read as I grew up and I was an avid reader. Um, I'd still be an avid reader, but I write, I spend too much time writing. <laughs> <laughs> we understand. Yeah, that's the, yeah. That is the dilemma these days. Yeah. Well, let's but move into focusing say, on your, your latest book, Fire on the Island. Um, during your last visit with us, uh, the fourth Cour- we, the fourth courier was your newest book, and you shared your story, uh, which I think Jody mentioned earlier about landing in an African jail and the nail biting and suspense of bartering your way out of a difficult situation. Now, I, about a week or two ago, I read an even more hair raising story in an interview that you did. I think it was with the international thriller writers, The Big Thrill about black Maybe, widow yeah. spiders. Now, I, <laughs> I, I have to confess, I almost hesitated to ask you about this because my skin was crawling when I read about it the last time. But can you tell us how spiders made it into fire on the island? <laughs> yeah, I can. Um, actually, it, that's done by, that's a piece uh, in a blog by Nicholas Kaufman, and it's called The Scariest Part. And he's associated okay, with international thriller read, writers. Yeah. yeah, the scariest part. And um, I, I had a childhood experience. I, 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 what I wrote about was how my family comes from Iowa, and I was born in Iowa. But when I was three years old, we moved out to California. We didn't move to just any place in California. We moved to a desert. And for my parents, who were just from Iowan farm families, basically to come to a desert where there were reptiles and scorpions and, and black widow spiders and stuff, it was very scary. And we were, we were made afraid of everything around us in a sense. But at one point I'm out in the desert and there's a board that, you know, some plywood board out there. And I'm a kid. I'm like, I don't know how old I was, seven years old, 10 years old. I turned this board over and there were all these nests of black widow spiders. And when I disturbed them, they ran, they ran all over me. And uh, they were crossing my feet and up my legs. And so I, I never really quite forgot that. I, I haven't grown up with a huge phobia about it, but it's it's one of the things I've never forgotten. And there's a point in uh, the fire on the island where Nick is in a graveyard and um, he overturns a tombstone that's fallen over and he does the same thing. All these black widow spiders 
come running out. Well, that's okay for that scene, but if you know the dramatic principle of Chekhov's gun, you can't show a gun without actually using it somehow in the story. Um, mm-hmm. I couldn't show those Black Widow spiders without later using it in an attempt to actually uh, do harm to Nick. I won't tell exactly how it happens, but spiders are involved. And it's a pretty creepy scene. They make a return so appearance, perhaps. <laughs> they make a return oh, appearance. That... Right. But <laughs> I won't tell scary. how. Yeah. <laughs> You know, we intentionally abbreviated the, your book summary so you could tell us uh, more about your protagonist, a gay FBI agent who's having an affair with a bartender who also is a suspect. Uh, without giving away any spoilers now, uh, would you care to elaborate either on the romance or how their lives intersected? Yeah, I, I won't do any spoilers. Um, basically, the story is that there have been a series of mysterious fires on this particular island, which I will say is the island of Lesbos, uh, just off the to- coast of Turkey. Uh, I know the mm-hmm. island very well, and it's inspired my work. Uh, there is a good reason to believe that these fires, which have inched closer and closer to the village, is really a threat to the entire village. And in the middle of the village is a Coast Guard station with a fuel tank, and if anybody wants to burn down the village, that would be the target that they would aim for. And because there is a refugee crisis, and the Coast Guard is playing a very important role in rescuing refugees coming across the narrow channel from Turkey, uh, the FBI agent posted to Athens to sit down to investigate because they don't want the Coast Guard put out of commission. It's an important element in terms of rescuing refugees. So that's why he's there, and he finds himself in this village just full of conflicts. And this is all very true. Uh, this village really exists. And conflicts that go back 100 years to this big exchange of populations between Turkey and Greece, because in 1923, all the Turks in Turkey and all the Greeks in, Tur- in, all the Turks in Greece and all the Greeks in Turkey were forced to change places. There's this huge population exchange of several million people. And so, so the, the story kind of builds back to, like, these elements of of uh, conflict and suspense that actually permeate the villages today, still, that were involved in this. So that's basically the story. Um, the reason a lot of readers question, well, why is an FBI agent in, in Greece? And I just want to say that the FBI um, has agents all over the world. If they're mm-hmm. in any country where there are significant problems with human trafficking, drug trafficking, refugees, uh, or arms trafficking, there's an FBI agent there to, to help um, law enforcement counterparts you know, solve problems, solve crimes. And there, I think there's 63 FBI agents around the world right now. I looked it up the other day again. Um, and so it makes sense for him to go down and look at the situation undercover and try to stop the arsonist. Well, it's, it's a pretty interesting premise. Um, now, I, I visited Greece once, only once. Um, I'd like, love to go back, but my family spent two weeks sailing. Um, we were on the mainland for a while, and then we sent, spent two weeks sailing through some of the islands. So I got a brief taste of life on uh, these little sun-baked gems of islands that are scattered yeah. all over. Yeah. Um and uh, but not long enough to to really you know get involved with people the way that you have. 
But I, I do have to say there's an awful lot happening uh, on this Greek island. Is do you say Vorvulus? Um, Actually, the village is. I use the name. I call the village Vervulos. Vervulos uh, is the village. I don't really – that's the name of the village. Okay. I don't really name the island. Um, unfortunately, there was a review that thought that the book was, was, took place in Santorini, and I can explain that. Um, yeah, there's a, a, a town the there called in Santorini with the same name, right, a village. Yeah. Right. And that was the village that I lived in for two years, 1972 to 1974. Uh, and out of love and respect for that village – in my fictional Greek book, I named it Vervulos. I had no idea somebody would go Google Vervulos and decide for me that my book was actually set on Santorini. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> because anybody knows Santorini and reads the book will realize it's not Santorini. But, yeah, uh huh. Yeah, that's one of the, now, the, the oh, what do you call it? The, the hard parts about, you know, naming places and. People leap to conclusions, yeah. and do you use a real, yeah. real place, or do you, um, yeah. you know? <laughs> uh, yeah. But um, in um, in all of the the different elements that you put into the book, some of which are, are as you say, with the, the 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 refugees coming from from Turkey um, and elsewhere in the Middle East, the you know the whole problem with the old simmering resentments over. Uh, Turkey and Greece, which, you know, go back, I guess, what, centuries probably. Um, How did you – was it hard to strike sort of a light note um, against all sort of these dark topics? No, because Greece to me really is a a lighthearted place. I know Greece very well. I have spent – I estimate estimate that I've spent about seven years of my life my adult life in Greece. Um, and I go back every year. I've, I've been going back to the island of Lesbos uh, every year for 15 years. This is the first year, and because of the pandemic, I, I have not gone back. Uh, I go to the same village. I know it very well. And it was a village that was really ground zero for the refugee crisis. In uh, 2016, basically, into early 17. 500,000 refugees landed next to my village, which has 1,500 people in it. So you can imagine how overwhelming the whole experience was. And I was very actively involved in assisting the refugees. By sheer coincidence, uh, my best friend in the village uh, organized the very first efforts to help the refugees. And I just pitched in with her. And, of course, it developed. We all went on to do other things than those initial handing out sandwiches. But in the book, the, the image of where they're, they've just made 100 sandwiches for these people getting off a boat, and they're they're walking by and picking up sandwiches, that's how it all started. But ultimately, I went on to uh, raise quite a bit of money to help the refugees. I was able to do things like buy 16,000 hats, 8,000 rain ponchos, uh, hundreds of mm. pairs of sweatpants and shoes, uh, some portable toilets, kitchen equipment for one of the camps. Um, so I was very actively involved in in, in, in all of that. But, but Fire on the Island is not really about the refugees. They are there. They play a backdrop, and they are part of why there is 
a contemporary conflict in the village that goes very deep between the villagers. Um, but back to the question of being lighthearted, no, it wasn't hard for me to, to write this in a way that is lighthearted. And I, and, and I think that's one of the strengths of the book right now because, you know, we're in kind of a gloomy time and people don't really want to read about really dark stuff. And I, you know, the last thing I would want to read about is really dark stuff or a pandemic story or something like that. I, right now, that's not where I'm at. But to read about Greek dancing, um, you know, uh, the lighter side of things, because uh, that's all part mm-hmm. of the book. Um, the, and there's a lot of humor in it. Um, so, I, I, no, it wasn't hard for me to write a light book. Um, it's, it, it's, not, it, it's a funny book, but there's also some serious stuff going on. But it, it's a nice balance. It's a balance uh-huh. that people will appreciate. Oh, and that's hard to do, to strike a balance like that. But right now I'm looking at the cover of your book, and I notice, <clears throat> excuse me, that it features two church domes against a bright blue Mediterranean sky. The cover really evokes, I think, the feeling of Greece, even those who have never visited, who have never visited the islands. Now, while the cover itself doesn't portend any dark happenings for the church, how is the church perilously damaged? Is it the priest? I don't – that would be a spoiler to talk about how it's actually perilously damaged. Oh, but, okay. Um, so I don't, I don't really want to talk about that. But I – Okay. The, the church plays a very important role in, um, in, in the novel as well because, of course, the Greek church and the, Greek, the, and the village priests mm-hmm. always plays an important role in Greek villages. Uh, you know, I can say that after having 50 years of experience going there. Uh, but I, I, I don't really, I, I don't really want to talk about. Um, I will say this: this is this is this is one of the conflicts in the village. What's been set up is is that the bell tower has serious damage to it, and and the priest wants to, and by fluke of history, the bell tower, which is a separate structure, is actually on municipal property instead of church property. And so the priest wants the city, the, the, the little village, to pay for the repairs. Meanwhile, because this fuel tank of the Coast Guard is a peril to the entire village if it actually does get attacked by an arson, mm-hmm. the, other, the other half of the village wants to move the fuel tank. There's only money to do one or the other. And so mm-hmm. and it, it's sort of a proxy conflict that falls along the fault line of do we help the refugees or not? And that becomes clear when you read the book how that how that pans out. But it's really okay. uh, it, it's kind of a conflict that that plays into the current contemporary situation. Okay. Okay. So I hope this one isn't a spoiler either that we're <laughs> going to ask. Um, want to talk about the truffle sniffing dog? Uh, a few years oh. ago, my husband. Um, spent a, a morning uh, following a truffle dog and his handler around the woods uh, of Burgundy in France. Uh, and I, I thought it was just, like, amazing to watch this guy, you know, just find with his nose all these truffles underneath the ground. So um, I, I must admit that I didn't know truffles 
existed in Greece. Um, but uh, what inspired you to include the truffle dog? Great touch. Because the, the dog is real, and I love the dog. Um, <laughs> his name is Dingo. Uh, and um, there were, the folklore at least, says that on this island there used there were, and maybe still are, truffles that are very valuable. They're white truffles. And... Oh. Uh, they're the most the valuable, right? I, I guess, yeah. And and this, and there's a family. They actually are the basis for the the characters that own Dingo in the book. Um, they actually had have they actually trained Dingo or tried to train Dingo to smell out truffles, and I just thought that was so great of an idea. <laughs> and what, when I start a piece of work I always have an opening scene and a closing scene and in this case Dingo the dog is part of both so oh. it's uh, it, 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 it's just because he, it's the dog and uh, you know <laughs> it, he exists he's real <laughs> oh. <laughs> well I'll tell you I'm really impressed by your eclectic uh, eclectic. I can really say it. <laughs> List of novels and screenplays to your credit. Um, now that Fire on the Island is out, do you have uh, what's next? On are you working on another project, or do you have one on the horizon? I, I'm well into a new book. Um, I when I finished Fire on the Island, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to write. I have an idea for an American novel, but I decided I didn't want to write that yet because I just didn't want to take on America uh, at this exact point in time. And if I do an American novel, it's also going to take on, in sense, some personal relationships and family relationships just in terms of how I, who my characters are going to be. And so I, 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 I set that aside. I think that's the next thing. But what I did decide, I, I, I know exactly what happened to all these refugees once they landed in Greece. I know what their, what their problems were. I know how they got north into northern Europe and stuff. But I didn't know how they got to Greece. And so I decided I wanted to write a novel that really is about refugees. And I went to Istanbul to do some research. And that's what I'm working on now. It's a story of a young Syrian refugee uh, who is – struggling to survive in Istanbul. He has witnessed a horrible crime against his cousin by ISIS, and he's actually walked to Istanbul 1,200 miles, uh, let's say 1,000 miles, to, to looking for safety. And he's developed uh, a reputation. He, he, he becomes one of the people in the, in the link of smuggling refugees to Europe, which from the Greek side – is a criminal activity from the Turkish side is somebody who's actually working in like the Underground Railroad. It's what these people want. And so he's actually a good character. Um, but he's approached by both the CIA and ISIS on the same, in the same 24 hours to become a spy for each of them. And his whole idea in life is to be safe. That's all he wants. And suddenly his whole world, he's like, in the, he's like with these two competing enemies and he's, He's caught between them. And it's a really 
It's a really good story. <laughs> so well, that's uh, quite a paradox there. Yeah, that that one. This one sounds like it's going to be good too. Um, it's going to be good. Well, uh, just like the last time, um, the the uh, our interview with you has gone so fast. Um, but um, we are coming to the end of our our podcast. Uh, I want to thank you, Tim, for coming uh, today again to let us interview. Um, best of luck with not only Fire on the Island, but all your new writing projects. Um, before we leave, is, let's give you a chance. Is there anything more that you'd like to tell listeners about your book? Um, and plus, where can they find it, follow you on social media, all that sort of stuff? Okay, well, uh, let me let me add to the last part first, which is the book's available basically anywhere. Um, you can order through your indie book, independent bookstore if you want. Uh, Simon Schuster is the distributor, so it's easily available. But of course, it's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, Bookshop, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there was something before. I, there was something else you just asked me. Uh, I asked you too well, many let me, things. Let me, no, it's okay. Um, I do want to say that um, last year I was asked by a radio broadcaster uh, who said, you know, thrillers always have car chases, blood and naked bodies. Does your book have that? And after I answered that, he said, well, it sounds like, you know, like this is like all for men. What, what is there for women? And I want to talk about that because I've actually written a little less. That, that, that stimulated me. Uh, to write a short piece on why women are interested in my books. They're not they're not traditional thrillers. Um, and in the case of Fire on the Island, the Greek side of the story is actually told through the perspective of three women in a three generations of, of women in a single family. And they're really strong women, and the story really speaks to women um, throughout the book. So I, I just want to say it because I, you know, thrillers are often not thought of as um, uh, for women, but in fact, women read more thrillers than men these days. So. Yeah, actually, I have to say I'm a big thriller reader. Uh, those written by men and written by women. So I think your past interview was a little bit sexist. <laughs> well, I think it was too, but I. <laughs> I've written a, I've written a piece on that out there to kind of like straighten straighten him out, but at the same time give me a little bit of exposure uh, through some different outlets, which which has been very yeah. nice. Um, Great. I, I well, like thanks again, again um, and uh, you know, good luck with your writing projects. Thanks, I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Sure, thanks for coming on. And a reminder to all you readers and listeners. Our books are available at Sunbury Press's online bookstore, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other online retailers and bookstores. And thanks to you all for listening to the Milford House Mysteries. We hope you enjoyed our program. Our next podcast is on August the 20th, that's Thursday, at 2.30 p.m., when we'll offer tips on editing your manuscript before you seek a publisher. In the meantime, you can listen to any of our past podcasts that you may have missed, um, Milford House Mysteries on the BookSpeak Network. And good news to announce uh, this week, 
that um, the Milford House Mysteries are now going to be available as Apple Podcasts on iTunes. Also, please follow us on social media. I'm on the web at www.SherryNolton.com, plus Facebook and Twitter. And I'm on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Carlisle Crime Cases by J.M. West. And my website is all lowercase letters, www.CarlisleCrimeCases.com. So until next time. Thanks again, Tim. Thank you.